Welcome to the Fear and Greed Daily Interview. I'm Jennifer Duke. Australia's biggest businesses are ramping up their climate goals, with more ASX 200 companies committing to a net zero target. And importantly for investors, nearly 70% of the index is now reporting against the Task Force for Climate-Related Financial Disclosures Framework. This gives some consistency in reporting, and it allows investors to compare the efforts made by Australian companies to improve their operations. According to new research by the Australian Council of Superannuation Investors, it focuses attention on those not reporting or giving limited information. The Australian Council of Superannuation Investors, AXI, is a group of 26 super funds who manage over $1 trillion in assets. On average, they own 10% of every company on the ASX 200. Now, I know Sean Elmer mentions this statistic every time he speaks to AXI, and with really good reason. It illustrates just how powerful this group of investors really is. Louise Davidson is the CEO of Axie. Louise, welcome back to Fear and Greed. Thanks, Jennifer. Great to be with you. So, Louise, why does this issue matter so much to your members? Climate change is, I think, going to be one of the biggest economic impacts or changes for our, uh, our, our economy for many years. And so, because our members are big investors, the impact of climate change on their investment portfolios has a really financial impact materiality. And so our members are really keen to make sure that their investments, uh, the companies that they invest in, are managing that risk and looking at the opportunities that are available to the best possible light. And with those risks and opportunities in mind, are you satisfied with the increase in the number of ASX 200 companies committing to net zero? So the research that we've just produced shows, I think, that the system is starting to mature We've been talking to companies for many years about increasing the extent to which they are measuring and disclosing on their activities to manage climate risk within their organisations. And it's really, it is really good, I think, to see that, you know, 70% of the ASX 200, so the bigger companies in the index, are now disclosing. There's still some way to go, though. You know, we can still see that there's some room for improvement. And if 70% are disclosing, that means that there's still 30%, of course, that are not. Does that make you a little bit worried for when mandatory climate reporting kicks in if the government introduces it? Yeah, so we do expect that the government will introduce mandatory climate reporting for larger organisations, probably to take effect for the 24-25 financial year. And I guess the fact that we've seen such a big uplift in the number of companies that are reporting shows that companies are starting to position themselves to be ready for that change. I guess the 30% that still haven't come forward with very sophisticated reporting ought to be on notice now, I think, to be really making sure that they are going to be in a position to report adequately against the new regulations when they come in. We think that, you know, there's still some room for improvement, in fact, across even the larger companies, to be honest. I mean, some companies are doing a fantastic job. There's no doubt about that. But some companies, even those in the 70% that are reporting, we still see that there are some areas that there needs to be improvement in order for investors to have real confidence about what's going on in terms of climate change management within those organisations. Can you dig into that a little bit more for me about how those net zero commitments vary in the detail? And is that sort of where the Task Force for Climate Related Financial Disclosures framework comes into this? Yeah, so I think the sort of areas that we see is some opportunity for more focus from companies. 
include on the setting of targets. So a lot of companies have set a net zero by 2050 target, but they haven't necessarily, I suppose, demonstrated a pathway of how they're going to get to that net zero. And we don't want a situation where everyone leaves it till uh, 2049 you know, to, to <laughs> yeah. work out how they're going to get to net zero within in, in the next 12 months. So what investors are really looking for is you know, the stepping stones along the way. So some midterm targets so that we can see how companies are tracking. And I guess the other thing that we are looking for is there's still a lot of reliance within companies on the use of offsets. What we would like to see is a transitional plan where companies are first and foremost seeking to reduce emissions. And only when that is not possible, which for some companies at the moment it's not because the technology doesn't yet exist, only when that's not possible should offsets be being used. So we don't want to see offsets being used as a, you know, anything but a last resort. And at the moment, there's not enough information to give us confidence for every company that that's the approach being taken. Stay with me, Louise. We'll be back in a minute. My guest this morning is Louise Davidson, Chief Executive of the Australian Council of Superannuation Investors. Is actually having sort of direct conversations with these businesses about how to get them to a place where you'd be more comfortable with what they're doing? Yeah, so actually we, we have um, an extensive program of engagement with companies on behalf of our members. We've been doing that for many years and so we've got a pretty good understanding of where a lot of companies are in the pathway that they need to take. You can see with you know what's happening with weather systems around the world, just how urgent this issue is. And so we're encouraging companies to be really focused on this and have a sense of urgency about it. One of the other things that we have some concern about is some companies we don't think are, are, are yet looking at closely enough at what they're going to require from an adaptation perspective. So going back to those severe weather events that we're seeing around the, the world, you know, they have a huge economic impact, of course, on not just society, but on many businesses as well. So we want to understand from companies, you know, how are they going to manage those issues in their portfolios? And part of that is obviously going to affect the smaller end of the scale. And you alluded to this before that maybe that smaller end is dragging its heels slightly on this. Why is that the case? And what needs to be done to help them kind of come along on this journey? Yes, it's challenging because a lot of this work is quite detailed and takes quite a bit of resourcing. And some of the smaller organisations perhaps haven't uh, resourced adequately to, to really be doing this work as yet. The other part of the market that might be, I suppose, lagging a little bit, Jennifer, is is those companies that don't see themselves as having a big uh, exposure to climate risk. So, you know, if you look at the mining industry, for example, that they, they have been aware of the risk for a lot longer than, say, some smaller companies that don't have the same sort of impact assessment. But I think what we would encourage all companies to be doing now is understanding that they will have some form of risk coming their way and to be starting to, to measure and manage how they're going to deal with that. And as part of that scenario analysis, how, do, how does that work in figuring out that risk? So, yeah, so scenario analysis is an important part of the TCFD reporting program and we really encourage companies to be thinking about, you know, so that's that's about, you know, what, what scenarios are they going to measure against? What sorts of carbon constraint are they going to assume for their portfolios? What sorts of transition 
opportunities will there be? And we're really encouraging companies to go into that with a really robust mind frame, you know, to, to really challenge themselves about what what the outer reaches of that might look like, you know, so not just to pick a cosy scenario that is going to be um, mean that they don't really need to change much of what they're doing, but actually genuinely challenge themselves on what the worst or best case scenarios might be. I think the other thing I would say is that because the government's going to introduce mandatory climate reporting, I think we will expect to see the development of a lot more guidance and tools from federal government that will help to support companies in doing this work as well as we get closer to that introduction. Is part of the challenge having the skills within the organisation to be able to report on these measures, have the understanding, that sort of softer, I don't know if that even counts as soft skill, but but that level of, uh, of skill shortage I'm hearing is quite an issue in Australia? There is a bit of a skill shortage in that area, but I, I think really in this case, there's a lot of information available to companies. And I think one of the things that we look at when we're thinking about this with companies is how, how is the board thinking about this? What sort of governance have they got in place to manage this transition that they're going to have to be part of? And have they got either the skills on the board or access to expertise to help guide them in that? We don't you know, we don't necessarily think that every board needs to have a climate expert on them, although some boards those that have really big exposure may well want to have that. But every board needs to make sure that they've got access to information that they can trust around this transition. I think that boardroom conversation piece is absolutely fascinating. Are you feeling optimistic about what the future is going to hold based on the sort of discussions you've been having with directors? Well, I think there is some cause for optimism. I mean, the results of this research, I guess, give us some cause for optimism. But it's such a huge um, job ahead of us that it's really going to take a very committed focus over you know the next several decades to get us where we need to get. And I think one of the things that we would really encourage companies to do, as I said earlier, is to be approaching this with a real sense of urgency because you can see from what's going on around the world that things are changing very quickly at the moment. And we really need to make sure that we are position, you know, really putting ourselves in that position to reach the 1.5 maximum warming goal. And that's, uh, you know, we've got to move quickly to stop that slipping away from us. Louise, thank you for talking to Fear and Greed. Thanks very much, Jennifer. A pleasure. And that was Louise Davidson, Chief Executive of the Australian Council of Superannuation Investors. This is the Fear and Greed Business Interview. Join us every morning for the full episode of Fear and Greed, Australia's best business podcast. I'm Jennifer Duke, Economics Correspondent at Capital Brief and filling in for Sean Elmer. Have a great day.